Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Friday and welcome to another exciting episode of uh, Indie Game Business. I'm switching up the intro this time. I'm Indy. That gentleman <laughs> next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And welcome to Friday in Indie Game Business. Uh, today's topic is Mastering Indie Game Success, which that's why we're all here, right? Marketing, publishing, influencer strategies. And we've got Sam DeBoke and he doesn't have the, his company or anything in there in his title. So I'll let him explain right. who he is uh go ahead Jake. am i yeah <laughs> so welcome to the conference or well, not the conference we met at a conference welcome to the show it's friday i've only had half a cup of coffee my brain's only <laughs> this much Worries. working um so let's start where we we always start tell us how you got into the industry initially and walk us through your career up to this point all right, I'll try to keep it as compact as possible. So I started out at university, actually. I did economics and I was pretty bored during my time. So I decided to find my own company and see what where things go from there. And also to make a, a bit of extra money because studying is quite expensive. Um, so that's what I did. And I actually started out with designing websites, but kind of figured out that that wasn't my cup of tea. But my big passion was video games. So I thought, why not combine both and try to see what's possible there? Uh, but I actually uh, rolled into the industry because of uh, my uh, actually kind of cousin, who is uh, a developer full time. He uh, is the founder of iIllusions and he made Space Pirate Trainer and lately uh, Shredders. It's uh, Dirk van Welden. And uh, I, I saw what he could do in the industry and I thought, damn, that's, that sounds really cool. So that's what I uh, I did was in the beginning, I had no clue what to do because there's no real like university to marketing video games. There's a lot of things out there on the internet, but no real person teaching you. So I just took a deep, deep dive, watched all the GDC talks and basically offered my services for free at that point just to learn. That's what I did for almost a year after hours, just during my time at college. And uh, then things got a little more serious when the first gig that I actually landed was Pumpkin Jack. And that's when things really kickstarted for me. Um, it was also completely free of charge, but I basically begged those guys that to let me in and to, to let me help them because I saw real potential in it. And it actually ended up doing really well. 
And as soon as I mentioned Pumpkin Jack from then on, uh, doors opened for me. That was really cool. And over the years, I have done Kickstarters. I have done three Kickstarters in total. Um, I helped a ton of indie studios with their marketing strategy, setting up like the foundation of marketing and trying to assist wherever needed. Um, and also, uh, last year, I worked for the biggest game accelerator in Belgium, the AI Studios, where I coached um, five studios in total on marketing and business development. And now I took the plunge, went full-time freelance, and I'm in the, like in the, the gray area, the, the unknown of uh, figuring out what I'll do in the next coming months, uh, but just from gig to gig and seeing what happens. So that's don't, basically me in a nutshell. Don't you love being, you know, an independent contractor consultant and going, oh, yes, I love this industry. This is awesome. When am I getting paid again? That's yeah. the, um, the beautiful. That was also that... like the realization of, oh, shit, like game studios don't have like a big amount of money. <laughs> and uh, that was my goal initially. So it was just like getting a few extra bucks in to go out and spend on, on nights out. Uh, during college, which didn't end up as I hoped it would, but uh, yeah, I got like I found the passion through it, so that's great. Well, so I mean, we have this in common. I took an economics class in college. I too was quite bored. That's why I got a D minus in it, and that was my <laughs> only business class that I took in college. But the other one is, how do you have a sort of cousin? Well, sort of cousin. It's actually my niece's husband, but I was thinking about the term, like, should I just call him my cousin? But he's actually my cousin because I know him since I was just born. He's always been there. So it's actually just my cousin. Cousin's a good catch-all. That, yeah. that absolutely cousin. makes sense. All right. So let's start with Steam and making sure, because there's several things that we're going to get into today that revolve around Steam. So let's start at the very, very basic optimizing a steam page so yeah. what are the things that absolutely have to be done what should be done what are the mm -hmm. you absolutely don't do let's let's tackle that giant first yeah absolutely there's actually uh, a video released like a couple of weeks ago from valve talking about how to optimize your steam page which was pretty pretty cool to see that valve actually pushed it and there was a whole bunch of stuff in it that I already was doing, but a lot of people weren't doing. So what I think uh, that has to be done on a Steam page is, first of all, get some traffic on to your Steam page, because otherwise it doesn't really make sense what you're doing. Um, and for that, a great tool is discoverability. And I see a lot of people use wrong tags or don't even look at tags just like inputting stuff that they think might work. But there's like a real added benefit to your traffic if you really investigate which tags are relevant to your page, but also which tags are less competitive, which have uh, which tags have more potential. It's just about like finding the right balance between like um, reach, but also like competition, and then applying that to your game. And I think that's an excellent way to drive extra traffic. It's not like the just like the one thing you should do, and then all of a sudden, your page will uh, be at the top of Steam. No, it won't, but it certainly will increase the odds of you getting more traffic. So I think that's the first thing that you should look into is tags. So that's uh, one part of it. 
So one of the things that people frequently put on there that it's like, okay, you're wasting space, you're wasting time, you're not really dragging anybody, you know, engaging anybody in mm. there. What what are those aspects of it? Like number one is indie, like the tech indie. I mean, yes, you want to showcase the world that you're an indie game. Um, I get that because that's like a like some kind of a pride. Like I have an indie game. It's not like a big production type of uh, of game. It's just like me, perhaps like a couple of extra people, and we, we're really an indie studio. That's fine, but it doesn't really tell me anything about the game itself. While you could have used the tag because you only have like a limited amount that you could have used for something else that could potentially give you way more discoverability because indie is like one of the most used tags. And uh, I also watched a lot of Chris Zikowski and he always mentioned also like, don't use the tag indie. It doesn't really make sense. Uh, if it's in there, it's not the end of the world, of course, but it's, yeah, you only have like a certain amount of real estate and you you need to make the most out of it. So, I mean, are there, I know when we're looking at social media, it's like you should only have like two hashtags on Twitter or mm -hmm. X or whatever the hell they're calling it these days. And there are certain other rules about this is how many hashtags mm -hmm. you use. I mean, in terms of tags for Steam, yeah. is there an optimal amount that you need to use before the algorithm just goes, you're, you're trying to be everything? You have like the, the tag wizard, it's called on Steam. And it's basically like a tool that, Valve created that walks you through the different kind of steps for tags. You have like the main, you have like different levels of tags. You have like action, adventure, etc. And then you have like subgenres. For example, roguelite, roguelike. And then you have one level down. You have more specific types. So it doesn't really matter how you structure it or how you balance it. Of course, you can only like if you're a like for example action adventure, uh, then like you don't need a, a race game, for example which makes sense. But like in the subgenres, you can have themed, like you have horror, you have pixel art or pixel, not sure what the naming is, but you have like all these different kinds. But in total, I think, I am not sure, I think the number is 27 in total that you can just add to your target or to your Steam page, I mean. Uh, so you need to make sure that those are the most relevant ones. Um, and what I personally do is I just look up similar types of games and just see what they use. And if it's uh, applicable to me, then I just copy and paste and then A-B test the crap out of it until I see improvements or declines in the amount of traffic I'm getting. All right, That's so basically my approach. Walk us through a little bit of that A-B testing. So how can mm -hmm. you effectively A-B test on mm -hmm. Steam? Well, you have tools for it. You have like third-party tools. Um, it's I'm not sponsored in any way, but I'm just going to mention the tool because I really love it. You have Steam Data Suite. Steam Data Suite is an excellent tool because you can add changes in the backend of Steam. And that tool allows you to track over time the amount of traffic, uh, all the data you need, but just have it like on one single platform that you can track. Otherwise, it's just about changing tags, waiting for a specific amount of time. Most of the time I use like depending on the amount of time I have, two weeks to, or a month, and just see in the back end of Steam, like what is the impact? What is, is my click-through rate improved? Um, does my amount of traffic increase most of the times because you're in the awareness phase? The amount of traffic should be your determining factor then. I just look at the data, keep an Excel sheet, and just 
try to like every two weeks. If I see like every two weeks is perhaps too fast, I change it to one month and just keep track of it every month. And until I see no real changes or like I see a decrease, I just change it back and then change another thing and then back and then change another thing until I found like a set that I think like won't have any major impacts on, on traffic. And that's my set that I keep using. All right. So one of the questions that we get a lot with regards to Steam is when should you set up that Steam page and mm -hmm. where do you decide and how do you decide whether or not you're just going to do wish lists or you're going to mm -hmm. do the access or maybe you're even going to self-publish? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really good question because some people tell you like you should put out your Steam page as quickly as possible which is absolutely correct. However, you need to make use of the launch of your Steam page as a marketing beat. If you just put out your Steam page and hope that traffic will come in on its own, you will have some traffic in the beginning because the page is new, uh, but that will die down really quickly. Um, I always look at setting up a Steam page and, and publishing it, making it publicly available as a marketing beat, and I combine it or try to combine it if I'm in the position to do so with a marketing push, which includes, for example, talking to media and making sure that we have a kick-ass trailer and combining the trailer with targeting media with the Steam page will make sure that the traffic I'll, I'll generate is as high as possible. Um, and that really kickstarts the Steam page. So yes, as soon as possible, but treat it as a marketing beat, I'd say. So the marketing beat is, is very interesting because mm -hmm. you and I know that a lot of indie devs don't have the resources to go out and hire firms. <laughs> Again, you know, slight mm -hmm. business plan thing. Indie devs don't have money. Um, <laughs> how do, how should the smaller teams attack mm -hmm. that? I mean, in terms of, Going to influencers is obviously one side, but how do they even get on the radar of some of the more traditional media in the industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's always tricky. I mean, we're not doing any rocket science. Uh, well, at least I'm not doing any rocket science. To me, it's just about research. What I do is if I have a game, the first thing I always do is make a competitor set. The most similar games of the game to what I'm marketing. Why? Because I know that that is probably my target audience. What I then do is when I look at those games, I look up if any media or influencers, that's probably for a later stage when you have something playable, have written about that game or those games. And then I just do a Google search. I look up all the articles I can find about those games. And I look at uh, the people that wrote the articles. Then I just make a huge Excel list. I do it manually. Like, there's no real hidden treasure database lying around with all the perfect names and email addresses. I wish there was, but it's not the case. Uh, it's just about manual detective research work and trying to figure out the right people and then establishing contact with them. Um, so they can actually do it themselves, but it's just a very time-consuming process. Like, like business development, yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Everything is time consuming. There, there is no shortcut. No. Unfortunately, if there was, I wouldn't have a job. 
Uh, <laughs> so you've got your steam page set up. You've used mm -hmm. that as your marketing beat. You've gone out and you've done a push to, I mean, I'm assuming influencers aren't going to be nearly the target when you don't have something to play. So you've gone out. Yeah. Without having to... something to play, that isn't an option. You at least need to have a demo. So you're going to media outlets at that point. I mean, that's, that's a bit the thing. Like if we're being honest, it's always about, is this game valuable to the readers of that outlet? The only thing that they look at is not your game. That doesn't matter. It's just about the satisfaction of their readers. So if you're developing some kind of a very niche game and you're talking to like the bigger ones, like PC Gamer, IGN, uh, Kotaku, all those kinds of like big top tier outlets, will they be interested in your game if it's very niche? Because they know that only a very small fraction of their readers will actually enjoy the article. So it's way more difficult to push something niche to those outlets and, and like think about like, hey, I, I did all those steps and still they don't want to write about my, my game. Perhaps it's the game that is too, like it's not the right fit for them or their audiences. It's just about figuring out like, is this the right outlet for my game? Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. I heard the the wonderful analogy and anecdote about these super super niche games mm -hmm. from a developer that, that we're talking to, and they're making a, a very realistic simulation historical shooter. And he mm -hmm. referred to part of his mar his audience as the rivet counters, mm -hmm. and he's like, these are the people that get in there. And when you put a tank in the game, they look at the the art on the tank, and they're like. Mm -hmm. This tank has five rivets on the right side and it should only have four. This is absolutely mm -hmm. the worst game ever. It is unplayable. You should never play it. And he goes, and then your you know, reviews start tanking. He said, however, if you can, you know, if you make a change and you mm -hmm. show that rivet counter that you're committed to making something that truly fits in their niche, he said, all of a sudden you have created one of the best marketing support systems you could ever have because that yeah, person yeah. is going to go out there and tell everybody how awesome you are now. And so it's, it's the same with these mm -hmm. websites, with, with the media and everything as well. You niche is hard, but niche can mm -hmm. be really, really powerful. If you. Yeah. It's also, if you're developing a niche game, then try to find niche outlets. Perhaps there is a, not perhaps game related, but yes. it might be broader than that. And you can target those as well because a whole bunch of people will probably enjoy what you're developing as opposed to like the big audience. It's just like a shotgun approach. Like we shoot something out in the public and then a percentage will, will enjoy it. We'll see. But if you go to like the very niche outlets, for example, if you're developing a, a fishing game, then why not look into like websites talking about all the kinds of stuff around fishing? Perhaps there are fishing events, etc. Like those are also very interesting, even though they're not video games. It's worth looking into but most of the times that's the only way i would do it if it's really niche like if i'm developing a, a roguelike uh, deck builder for example chances of me finding a very like niche well there are a ton of niche outlets actually for that kind of game but you know what i mean it's not like non-game related i'd say those are really focused on gamers or board gamers or whatever yeah, no one's going to convince me that Farming Simulator got to the level that it's at right now, <laughs> especially with eSport leagues in Germany yeah. and Europe, by marketing strictly to gamers. Because no. 
no. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So we, we've got all of this stuff. We've, we've done some marketing. We've got a little bit of, you know, traffic coming in. Mm -hmm. Steam events. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Why are they important? And then we'll get into which ones and when Absolutely. and how to strategies. But start us off with the the intro Absolutely. to Steam events and why you should be using them. Steam events are your bread and butter. If you are not participating in Steam events, you're really missing out. They are the, the best possible marketing tools you can have on Steam, of course, because most of the people watching this will develop for Steam, PC first. Um, Steam events are excellent way of Valve just giving you like a platform uh, to showcase your game and to get a whole bunch of additional traffic to your page. However, once again, if you just rely on, I'll just opt in because there's an option. If your game is, for example, let's say your game is a racing game and there's a puzzle fest, of course you cannot participate. Steam will not give you the notification and you can always ask them like, can I join? But if they see your racing game and it's a puzzle fest, they will say, no, this is not relevant. So, no, sorry, you cannot join. However, if you're a puzzle game and it's a puzzle fest, for example, you will get a notification. If not, you can just write them most of the times, like 99% of the time, they will let you in. But treat it as a marketing beat as well. Because if you're just heavily relying on Valve, just pushing out your page, well, that's not going to happen because there are a whole bunch of extra games within that niche and they might have bigger following than you so they will get a better spot on the event because steam is just all about like it's a snowball effect on steam if you already have a solid foundation then steam will augment the effects they will shoot you up and if you have like 10k wish lists then you will have a lot of increase but if you only have like 10 wish lists steam knows that this is not really a popular game at this moment so we won't be pushing it to the top or we won't really feature it on the event. However, if you do a lot of efforts uh, during or just before the event, then Steam will notice that there is like a change in like the pacing, like the momentum is increasing and they will notice and they will see like, hmm, this kind of game is pretty, is picking up momentum. This might be interesting. And then they will push you a little bit above or a little bit to the top more. And then more people will come in that emphasizes the effect and then you'll get pushed and pushed and pushed in an ideal scenario, of course, to the very top. And that's how you should approach like Steam events. Like those are like the niche events, like the themed events, but also like the follow-up question will be, of course, what about Steam Next Fest? Steam Next Fest are the biggest marketing tool you can have on, uh, on a PC platform if you're developing and releasing on Steam, of course. Um, that you should treat as something incredibly valuable. You can only opt in once, so don't waste it in the very beginning. Uh, I like to save it for the the very last Steam Next Festival before release because I have the most amount of wish lists that I can potentially have just before I'm releasing. So my goal in on Steam Next Fest is the two weeks before Steam Next, I want to engage influencers i want to engage press i i want to do everything i possibly can to maximize the momentum because on steam next if you get pushed to the top you will get a ton of exposure and and that's incredibly valuable so 
we, how many of, aside from next fest mm-hmm. and we'll dive into that in a second too because i have questions there but okay. how many of these event niche things should you be com, you know entering into is there a too much is mm-hmm. there a too little is i mean do you no everything you can join just join it's uh just ask if it's not relevant even just ask if they don't allow you in sure if they allow you in then you've got more than uh you always have a no, a yes, you can get. So I just treat it as that and just ask them like, hey, we have like a, a very small puzzle element in our narrative-focused horror game. Do I still count? Who knows? They might say yes. They might say no. At least I can try. I'm, I'm making a game based on Saul, and the lead character is called <laughs> Jigsaw. So therefore, it's a puzzle, and I should be in the, the puzzle category. Who uh, knows? You can try. <laughs> <laughs> when you're going out and you're like you said that two weeks prior to next best mm-hmm. is that when you're really pushing on social media yeah. is that when you're going and you know like you said approaching it like a different marketing beat and going out to all the yeah is that also when you're hitting so, influencers yeah. yeah we go in prep phase before the two weeks hit before steam i'll try to make sure that the two weeks leading up to steam next and steam next is covered with uh, influencers that are talking playing about the game i'll try to make sure that i increase the momentum as much as possible two weeks prior because that's when steam like kind of assembles like the ranking of the games and the ones with the most momentum get pushed to the top so if steam next starts and you already have the momentum chances are you'll be higher in the list so the higher on the list the more traffic you will receive so yes i push before steam next even all right so what about demos going out Mm -hmm. should i be creating a standalone demo and then the next question is should that demo have its own steam page I just use the demo on, yeah, you have like a tactic, like some people disguise their demos as like the prologues with a standalone Steam page. Um, a good example of this are like the uh, Vampire Survivor-esque type of games. Um, a couple I know that a couple of like experimented with, like having a prologue, it's basically like a, a small version of your game, making it free but treating it as a separate Steam page, which means that in the algorithm, it can be pushed to the top, whereas a demo page cannot be pushed to the top. It's just linked to your Steam page, just your game. But if you do a prologue, you have actually two products, and you can use one product as a free-to-play. Free-to-play is always, like, if, if it's free, people will play, no matter how bad your game is. So it will be pushed, and you can leverage that free-to-play prologue type of game to link to your actual full game and so increase the traffic and the amount of wish lists. So yes, that's a strategy. Um, I have not worked with a studio that has done this strategy or just the game didn't lend to it. Uh, I mostly work just with demo on the regular Steam page. All right. That, yeah, that answers that question. It's always been curious because I'm wondering if mm-hmm. you're not oversaturating it. If, if you've got like that demo and yeah, but I mean, well, I don't... yeah, the demo should be treated just as a part of your game. I mean, if I can play a demo of a game that I potentially like, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm able to experience it just before buying it because then I know this is my type of game. And some people are like 
should I actually put out a demo? Because if people don't like my game, they will not buy it. So I just lose on sales, uh, which, yeah, of course. But do know that you can just refund. If yeah. you, you don't play two hours, you can just refund. So they'll refund either way because a demo most of the times isn't even two hours. So it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, so yes, a demo is an excellent tool because that also allows you to participate in those events, already showcase the potential of your game. And to be honest, if you're a game developer and you're afraid of showcasing your demo, that means that something is wrong because the product that you're making, you, you should be proud of the product that you made. And you should, it, I know it's scary, but you should push it to the people, your target audience and see what they think. And if they all think like, this is not good. Sure, that's fine. I mean, just go on to the next game or iterate and adjust, but not giving it to the audience just because you're afraid of losing on sales is it's not really scamming. But in the meantime, I mean, they'll just refund. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, there's no there's no downside to it. I mean, because no, like you said, only if, upsides. If if they if they don't like it, they're not going to buy it anyway, and you basically. Exactly. Pressured yourself out of working on something and improving it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a demo can be a very useful tool to just iterate on your game and, and already gather very valuable impact uh, info and, and feedback. And you can iterate to make your final game way better than it was before. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, a, it should be treated as a, like a development tool, but in the meantime, also like a promotional tool. All right, so we got a good one here. To what extent can an impact, impactful sound branding strategy influence the marketing outcomes of a game? Is sound a relevant factor in achieving improved results? Ooh, that's uh, an interesting question. Sound. Well, when I think about sound, like the first game that comes to mind is like the, I think it's called like Metal Singer. It's like you play as a some kind of a, like a Doom kind of character but you shoot on the beat. And I think that's an excellent example of sound. Like it's all centered around sound. It's just you shooting monsters using a, a very heavy metal soundtrack. And I think it's an excellent example of this is all this, the whole marketing campaign is just centered around. We're providing you with kick-ass tracks from awesome metal bands. And you can just rip apart monsters and whatever you can do. You can just like, take out your um, like if you come home from a day of work and you just want to sit down and and kill some monsters on a sick ass metal beat you can do it and that's like the whole strategy for them I think I wasn't part of the strategy so I'm not sure what went on in uh, uh, behind the curtains but uh, I think sound there played a really crucial um, impact on the campaign uh, but just purely emphasizing on sound you will please like a very slim percentage of people because 90% of the people just want to play the game. And of course, sound is a very, very crucial aspect of a game that is often overlooked. Um, but just purely focusing your strategy on sound might narrow it down too much. I think you should definitely focus on the gameplay aspect, but of course you have like different kind of uh, pillars in marketing. One of those pillars might be sound, but it shouldn't be your only pillar. Unless you're developing a, a music-based game, of course. That's something different. But even then, you've got different pillars. 
I mean, if, yeah, if you're I doing mean, let's dance. I mean, you still have yeah. unique art style as a pillar. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, I, I had never really thought about that until you just said it, but yeah, you can't have, you can't build a building with only one pillar unless yep. you're in like Minecraft or Valheim yeah. to a certain extent, but yeah, you're always going to have a variant. I mean, you've got Crypto the ne Necromancer. Mm -hmm. There's been several games on there. So, yeah, yep. I mean, I agree. If sound is a big part of mm -hmm. what you're doing, then, yeah, absolutely, it can be. Yeah, um, all right, wait. Is, is is this a family member? No, it's, uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he was actually an intern uh, last year at the iStudios. So, hi, Senna. Uh, yeah, he has the same... Um, last name as me but he is not family as far as i know i see i see how it is you're getting, you're getting the cousins to come in and, and drop <laughs> questions in chat Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. So he says, I've learned that we should focus more on launching successfully on Steam instead of just launching, but will making a demo on your main Steam page not take away this actual launch minimal uh, momentum? I cannot talk today. No, because I think a demo, as soon as you, like, the best practice is you announce a Steam page, the Steam page is live, you treat it as a marketing beat. As soon as humanly possible, you put out a demo that showcases the value of your game, that really showcases, like, this is what we'll offer you. You can combine it with an event if it allows, um, if not, I would say a demo doesn't hurt because I've also... Like I've I've read a ton of articles of publishers that have a demo during an event, and then the developer asks, "Can we put down the demo? Like like can can we just remove it now?" And they're like, "Why? I mean, like the effect after the event, just allowing people, um, like with the additional traffic, you get pushed higher. There are more people even after the event that can enjoy your demo that can increase." the chances of you getting wishlist, et cetera, that it won't reduce momentum. Not at all. I mean, you can even like let your demo be live until the very launch and even after launch, just have it up. It doesn't really matter to me because as long as your game is good, people will want to play more and they will buy your game. And for people like me that don't have a lot of time, it's really irritating when y'all put up Steam Next Fest demos and then take them away when it's over because yeah, I ain't had a chance to play them yet. So there are 24 hours in a day, and there are so many games out there that I want to play. Like I had my list, and I think I barely scratched the list of games that I wanted to play because once I I'm hooked to a certain game, I play way more than I should, 
which like moves my my time like oh fuck i only have like a couple of hours left for the other games and i'm like which one do i prioritize and then after the event they just remove the demo and i'm like fuck i haven't played the game i wanted to play it but i haven't so you didn't get my wish list and that's why you keep it up case in point i finally slowed down on starfield you know, since launch, and I just pulled up my Steam page, and I have 400 hours in it, and I am just like, okay, I didn't get to play anything else during this time, but yeah, it is. It's, it's like yeah. you want to, the other. If if Valve is out there listening, the other thing that I want is a note section in my wish list. So when you send me mm -hmm. an email six months later, and you're like, this game on your wish list is on sale, I can remember why I put it on my wish list because is. I I think there is like an extension on Google Chrome that allows you to like make notes. I, I'm not sure. I think I've seen it somewhere or I used it somewhere way back. But I think there's like a note that saves on the Steam page and that opens up like, hey, you've made a note on this page. And then I remember like, oh, yeah, I played this game a while back, for example. And this is what I thought about it. Or you can really go hardcore and just make a whole like sheet but uh, yeah, that's if you're uh, really into the like scouting or something. I think they'll have uh, the sheets ready. But like the mere mortals, like like us, we just play games and then forget about them. And then oh wow, there's a uh, there's this game I enjoyed like way back. It's it's even better when you have ADD and you don't remember anything anyway. And it's like <laughs> oh cool looking game. Why was that on my wish list again? I don't know, but I'll wait till it goes on sale. Um, yeah, every so months I just scroll through and just like oh yeah this game. Oh yeah yes. this game right. So from Weston's World Studio on YouTube, is there a recommended time frame between demo release and final release, considering momentum? Um, well, considering the fact that, like, if you are able to join like the Steam Next Fest, the closest one because you have, um, I really need to think about what I'm saying now. I think you have four no or three in total fuck i should know this um you have a couple of them in a year <laughs> so you can choose whether to opt in or to not opt in i would opt in for example there is if there is one coming up for example like let's say in february and you're releasing in march then of course opt in in february and depending on the time that you set your release of course there is a certain amount of time between them doesn't really matter of course i think the closer steam next is to your actual release the more momentum you will keep so the more ideal it will be however as i mentioned there's always like this lingering effect after uh, a, a steam fest or steam um, next fest so those are also additional people that are able to find your game of course yes the momentum like declines a little but if you've done your job correctly as a marketeer or the person that's responsible, you, fingers crossed, should come into popular upcoming. And then once again, the snowball effects will, will begin because Steam is pushing your game because they think this might be a big hit or this might this game might do well in like behind the curtains. They're just thinking about this game might sell a lot of copies. So we'll make a ton of money on this game. So we'll push it higher. Um, so this re-engages the momentum. So yes, ideally, you should have like a Steam Next. You should then pop into popular upcoming release and then go into new and trending. Once again, snowball effect. That's the ideal scenario. Um, 
but yes, plans often don't go as they should. And sometimes things pop up or just the time doesn't match up. I don't think it's like the worst case, but ideally it should follow the order. So how often through the process should you be reviewing and updating and changing your Steam page? Well, that's a good question. I think at a certain point, especially in the beginning, you should try a lot of things. Like um, the project that I'm currently working on, it's called One-Eyed Lico. It's a, a Slavic fairy tale. It's like from the developers from Black Book, which is a pretty cool game. And we actually changed the capsule art for the game. And the effect that it had was pretty mind-blowing because the game is really niche like really, really niche. Like the majority of people that enjoyed this type of game are Slavic people. And just a, like a tiny fraction is, is, is Western or Asian or whatever. Um, so what I did was I knew that if we're going to sell copies, then we should try to reach the Western worlds, meaning Europe and America. Um, so what what I did was I looked into how can we make it more approachable, less niche, less dark, because it was really like very Russian, Ukrainian, Slavic type of like vibe that it was getting. And I just changed the capsule art. Well, I, the talented artist at the team <laughs> changed the capsule art. I didn't do it. I just consulted. I was like, yes, this is good. No, change that. Just change the color on this one. Change the fonts. Um, however, the effect it had was we were averaging a certain amount of wish lists, and just by making that change, we made like ten times the amount of wish lists in one day, and like that effect lingered on for a while and then slowly reduced. However, it's still double than what we had before, just capsule art. So it's really crucial that you from time to time change up things and see what the effect is. If it was the other way around, that I saw like half of the amount of wish lists on a daily basis, then I would know like this isn't working out, so I'm going to change it back. Um, however, if it works, awesome. Then you've done a successful experiment. Same with the Steam page, the layout. The Steam page to me is gameplay pillars, but in a concise way and an engaging way. Because nobody really reads the entire page. So you just want to have a clear overview of like what is this game about without spoiling too much. For us, this was the case. This kind of mystery uh, Steam page. Um, but yes, just experiment. Unless you found like a set of elements like the capsule, the title, the text, the description that gives you, in your opinion, after you've done the tests, like a solid amount of, of traffic, click-through rate, um, um, conversions and just stick with it but don't just let it be just revisit it after like a couple of months like let's say like three months just revisit and see can we change something up is there something that has been added to the game that we can add and in the meantime we can change up things to spice things up a little so yes you can always tweak stuff uh, eventually you'll run out of things to tweak because you have like a solid set um, if you think you've got it, don't change a winning team. Especially don't do it just before launch. Just keep your hands off. Experiment way before launch. But near launch, 
stick with the things you have. So are there best practices in general for capsule art? Uh, well, what I do is, I think it's a, a cool technique that I learned is you have to frown your eyes and then just put your game into, like I mentioned, I always do a competitor set. I have the capsule images of my competitor set and a little bit broader than my competitor set, but most of the times in the same niche. And then I put my capsule art just randomly in between those those other capsule arts. And then I frown and I see which ones would I click on, which one stands out to me. And if mine is not on there, I keep tweaking until I found my own one. So that's what I do is just I see because you're just listed in a huge amount of, of games. And the first thing you do on Steam is you scroll, and you scroll and you scroll, which are the games that you click on, the ones that you think just purely the capsule image, oh, this, this looks cool, I'm clicking on it. So you need, to, you need to be the one that stands out or that conveys like the message of your game. And for Morteczka and from uh, One Night Lico, it's a really dark game, but still we used a really wide font to kind of stand out. It, it, it was too dark at first, but now it's more bright. And that allowed us to, to increase like the click-through rate of the amount of people visiting our page. See, that it, it's that sort of stuff that it makes a huge amount of difference. Because, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen games that mm -hmm. I absolutely think would be fantastic, but you have mm -hmm. to dive a little deeper into them because when you look at that capsule art, mm -hmm. it's just not engaging. It's just, yeah. Just, it sounds stupid, actually. Like, it's just a capsule image. Like, what is this, like, the big secret of will my game be successful? No, it won't. But it plays a huge role. So don't cheap out on a great capsule art. Hire a capsule artist. Um, don't cheap out on it. Because if you do it yourself, unless you're an artist, chances are it won't be as good as it might be. Uh, so, yeah. Just use an artist that is specialized in those kinds of stuff, but do like that was what I did is coach them in a certain direction of I want to see these and these changes and really think about like what would I click on? Will this be engaging? Will this stand out from like the dozens of other games on the same niche? And I think that's what really like makes or breaks for for most indies. And it sounds trivial, but yeah, it has an effect. And a cyber shell rev from YouTube. So it's also good not to mislead the player with great capsule art that outshines the actual game. I see that pretty ha happen pretty often on Steam. Mm -hmm. However, I know it's it's not allowed. It's like the forbidden tactic. But you did manage to have someone click onto the page, and okay, they might not wishlist the game. However, they visited the page, and of a hundred people. They were like, hmm, this capsule image looks amazing. I click on the page. I bet like the majority, like the vast majority won't wishlist. However, some might do. So it's still an increase to a shitty capsule image. <laughs> so yes, it shouldn't be misleading, of course. Of course. But you, you get my drift. It's not like, it's not a crime you're committing. It's just like you had a great capsule artist. Cool. The game doesn't resemble the capsule image. Sure, just don't wish this the game, and it's fine. Let's move on with other days. I mean, but would the conversion rate on that affect your affect the algorithm 
versus getting less clicks that are converting higher? It's like the it's like a black box, like the algorithm. As far as I know, I I don't really think it has an effect. To be honest, um, I think like what does team matter? How high your click through rate is? It doesn't really matter. The only thing that they really want to see is an increase in wish list because they know this game has momentum, this game has potential, so we can push it because it will probably make more money. If you have a, a million impressions and you have a, like let's say like a, a, like one percent click through rate like one percent is like quick mass is uh oh shit i've done myself like one million 100k 10k it's like 10k visits does it matter i mean like 10k visits if it translates into 10k wish lists that's what matters to steam but just 10k people visiting your page doesn't really matter to them um, you can have like tens of millions of people visiting your page as long as like a handful wish lists. You do, your game doesn't have momentum, so they don't care. Oh, that is very interesting. So I think I I'm th not. Well, the, none of us know. That's I'm the reality. I'm not the Valve expert. Uh, you should ask someone from Valve. But I think, as far as I know, it doesn't have an effect. And and even if it does, there's always the chance that they're going to change that in two weeks anyway. So yeah, the end result I mean, is yes, get more wish list. So mm -hmm. follow up is what else in addition to capsule art is highly recommended to subcat subcontract out, i.e. trailers. Anything else? Yeah, trailer, excellent example as well. Um, unless you're a very talented editor and you know, like the ins and outs of making a great and engaging trailer, um, sure, go ahead. However, for the majority of developers, this is not the case. So it's a real craft to make a trailer. A trailer needs to hook you in. It needs to keep you engaged because a trailer is your most valuable marketing asset up until you have something to play. And even then, it's still one of the, like, the, the biggest assets that you can have because Let's be honest, like what is the first thing you do when you enter a Steam page or just go onto a Steam page? You watch the trailer for a certain amount of seconds, depending on your uh, your amount of dedication to the game. That might be like one second and that might be the entire trailer of two, three minutes. However, you did watch the trailer as the first thing. And I think that's so important. And the really good trailers are the ones that you don't even notice how long they are you just reach the end, like the call to actions or the logos, whatever. And that's a craft. And you cannot just like think, I'll make a good trailer myself. Sure, I can do it. I've done some work in uh, Premiere Pro or DaVinci. Uh, I've done some video editing in the past. I can, I can make a trailer. It's way more than that. So yes, um, if you were to outsource something else, a trailer is highly, highly recommended. Uh, it will cost money. Of course, uh, but I think it is it's really worth it. So switching gears a little bit, and we're not gonna mm -hmm. we don't have time to dive completely into publisher research and all of that sort sure. of stuff, other than the fact that I will take a shameless plug and say if you go to powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list, we just updated our publisher list with 800 investors that are on there as well. Um, but if you're in the market and you're looking for a publisher and you're going out and you're doing all the right things, at what point do you say, never mind, I'm just going to self-publish? 
Well, it it depends. To me, a publisher is. I mean, publishers are awesome. If 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 your team is or your situation is up for it, I think publishers shouldn't be your first target. Um, meaning, if you develop a game and your game has a lot of potential and you play tested and people are like, this is truly awesome. And you've gathered quite a amount of following. Perhaps you've done a little bit of community building and you've gained a following. You can do two things. You can either look for investments and that doesn't have to be a publisher. You can look for a investor for your company. Perhaps your company, you're open to equity investments and a, uh, like a, a business angel or an angel investor, I mean, um, is really interested in investing and it, they might give you the amount of funding you need to develop your game further to finish it but just for like a stake of the company might be if you're really really confident uh, you can go to a bank and ask for a loan chances of you getting a loan for a video game is slim to none unless you have a, a really good track record so it is possible but it's highly unlikely however if you have like uh, this if you're in a situation like i'm working on this after hours I already gained quite a bit of following. I can manage like the way I'm working on this game for like the next three years. And yes, it might take three years. Like I'm, I'm kind of contradicting myself because I always tell like the studios from the AI studios, like don't develop three, four years on a game and then release because especially in the beginning, it's really risky. Uh, like the quicker you can go to market, the better. However, if you're in a situation that you have a like a 80% like job and you have like one day a week and the weekends and after hours to develop your game you don't actually need the money uh, you already you need to have a little bit of money of course to um, fund the trailer capsule arts like all the shenanigans that come with developing games however if you go to a publisher um, you need to make sure that you know what you're getting into because it's a big responsibility if you just develop after hours, you're your own boss. And if it takes one or two years extra, no problem. If you go to a publisher, that requires dedication. So you need to know what you're getting into. If they're interested and they give you a bag of money, you need to perform. You need to make the game as you've pitched it. And, and that's also really crucial do you know that if they give you money they will want it back so they will recoup and they will of course take a share of your revenues that otherwise you would have had for your own entirely so it's kind of a mixed bag if you're not in a situation uh, to work after hours you have a team the team needs funding because you need to pay wages of course um, your game has potential and you have you're prepared for the dedication and you're prepared to give away a share of your revenues an amazing uh, partner and especially like in the marketing department they have the contacts they can get you into the festivals they can give you more exposure probably they should give you more exposure otherwise don't work with them than you would on your own but it depends on your situation so don't just develop a game and think i need to have a publisher just like reflect do i really need to have a publisher Yes or no, and then of course you should uh, you should proceed accordingly. And as a side note, if your publisher literally hands you a bag of money, mm -hmm. you should probably rethink that relationship because there is something sketchy 
going on there if they're just walking around handing mm -hmm. out bags of money yes yeah most of the times in contracts it's like linked with milestones if they give you a big bag of money up front mm -hmm. that either means they have no clue what they're doing or have a ton of money that they need to get rid of or you have an established track record and they really trust what you're doing so it oh, no. can I, be i was talking about them literally handing you a bag with oh, money. back! With, I mean, yeah, at, at the parking lot with a bag yes, of money. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's like that's, that's, uh, that's yeah, that's a different kind of publisher. I think, <laughs> uh, <Jay. laughs> You've got a different distribution channel than most yeah, people. Yeah, it's a different kind of product, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lee has a fantastic question because this is all new and exciting. What are your thoughts on the new Epic First Run program? Do you have any concerns about not selling on Steam? So we might need to start with mm -hmm. explaining what that is. Well, the Epic First Run program is basically just Epic Games coming in and telling you, like, hey, just come to us first and just we, we can support you whatever way possible. And I think it's really good for the industry to give options to developers. In the end, you're running a business. So from a business standpoint, the more opportunities you get, no matter if it's Steam, if it's Epic, whatever that come along your way, just think about, like, is it really worth gambling just going to Steam and refusing working with Epic just because I like Steam more? Just purely from a business point of view, if Epic comes to you and they tell you like, hey, we want to work with you and we can, we can support you in whatever way you want because we truly believe in your concept, just accept it. I mean, it's a business. You have certainty now. That, that's what counts. You can, you can get to the next game now. That's already an accomplishment. Um, the same with, for example, like uh, people always like, if if I'm on Xbox Game Pass, will will my game sell less copies on Steam? Uh, no, it won't. Plus, you have like you have a they they hand you over money at launch. I think it's I've never done I've never been a part of a, a deal with Xbox Game Studio, but I've heard people talking about their relations. It's like a a set amount of money that you negotiate, and on launch you receive that money. So it's like guaranteed sales. If you're a business and someone guarantees you like a certain amount of cash that allows you to continue paying your employees and perhaps, hopefully, if you negotiate it well, allows you to develop your next game, why shouldn't you take it? I mean, just take it. You're a business. Think about it as with the business mindset, not just like, no, I want to I wanna publish on Steam first because I really love Steam and my, my entire audience will be on Steam. They might be. But if you go with Epic and then you go on Steam after a certain amount of period, they will still buy it if the game is good. And they now have seen like approval of, yes, this game is good. Reviews came in. Uh, game is excellent. Uh, they will be hyped to buy it on Steam if they're really like loyal to Steam. You left out the key important part, though. The first run program means if you get into that, for you know, a game that's coming out and now they've expanded it. If you have back catalog games that mm -hmm. are not on Epic, you don't pay a royalty to Epic for six months. Yeah. It's like so all of that revenue goes to you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to this point, we have not seen Steam really punishing, especially indie devs, for being on Epic. So it's it's one of those, it's like, mm -hmm. why not? You've got yeah, on Epic, you've got less discoverability problems because there's less games on there you got a higher chance of being seen you got a higher chance of you know making a sale and then you get to keep 100 percent of that for six yep. months and after that for all the gamers that are on steam and they're like i don't want to go in the epic store because it's another executable well tough shit yeah the 
exactly. you, all those people are still going to be there. So exactly, yeah. I personally love it. I mean, I'm with you. There I are no downsides from a business stand, uh, standpoint. It's it's awesome. I mean, that's that's Steam. Yeah, like you give away thirty percent of your revenue to Steam yes. just for discoverability. I mean, Steam is a is like a fantastic platform. I truly love Steam. I play all my games on Steam, so I'm actually loyal to Steam. However, I think it's awesome that Epic Games allows studios to work with them as well and to give them benefits of like, hey, we know you're a business. We know developing games is, is really tough. I think it's one of the most difficult things out there. I think the game industry is one of the most like difficult industries that there that is out there. Having some bigger companies help you is truly something that we should cherish and more initiatives like uh, the program should be there because uh, there is a real need for support and if steam doesn't give it fuck it fuck steam Just <laughs> go, go go somewhere else make sure that your game sees the light of day and that your your studio can make a second game or a third game it's not about just like having that one winning game it's about being able to sustain your studio until you get to the winning game that's that's the goal so we got time for one or two more i'm going to hit cyber shells first because this is a really quick sure. answer because this is one of my giant pet peeves they ask if you're fully transparent with development but you don't have much background or experience to show for would investors and publishers be inclined to pay less the answer is no do not fall into that trap of i can only get x amount of money for my game because i'm new it's absolutely one of the things that frustrates the living shit out of me when people mm -hmm. tell developers that it is it going to be harder for you to get a deal yes does it mean you're going to get less? No, it doesn't. All right. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mini rant over. Uh, go ahead, though, Sam, before we get into the next No, one. no, it's, it's, you're completely, you're completely right. Like the one thing that publishers want to see is A, a cool game, B, a target audience that they know is sufficient enough to sell to, is big enough, and three, a team that can deliver on its promises. Yes, you might not have the experience. However, that doesn't make you less of a person. You still have to pay bills um, at the end of the month. So just ask what you need and just show them like, yes, I am capable of delivering the results, even though I don't have the experience. It will be a tougher cookie to sell, but it is doable. And if the publisher really doesn't want to pay you for it, sure, move on, go somewhere else and look for other opportunities. Their loss. If the game is good. All right. So last one. What are your thoughts on releasing a Kickstarter first and then seeking a publisher? I've heard mixed feedback. Mm -hmm. Good question. Really good question. We, we've discussed this as well. I think it's also like a mixed bag. Why? If you're on Kickstarter and you succeed, like Kickstarter to me, that's not a funding tool anymore. It's just a promotional tool. You get your game out there. You use the money to... I mean, support a little bit of the development, but often like the amount of, of funding that you see on there is like 25K, 50K, like the time of like 300, 400K, that's, that's gone, that's in the past. So you're really using it as a promotional tool. And on Kickstarter, that's the beauty of it. You can go two ways. A, you succeed, awesome. You now have leverage because you showcased that there is an interest for your game. There is a target audience. You already have a sort of community around your game. 
and you can leverage it into a better deal or just a deal in general with a publisher that is able to fund the remaining um, like amount needed to complete your game. However, if you do not succeed with your Kickstarter, that might indicate that there is no real interest in your game, that people aren't like as 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 interested as you thought they would be. And if you then go to a publisher and they look up your game and they see, oh, they've done a Kickstarter in early 2023 and they only managed to score like 10K of the 25K, that might be an indication to them like mm, there's no real target audience. A good publisher will, of course, conduct his own research. However, it does have an impact, in my opinion. So, yeah, you really uh, need to make sure yeah, you can never make sure that you succeed. But if you succeed, it's really good. If you don't succeed, it's not the end of the world, but it could jeopardize your chances. And I'll say, be careful. And there are publishers out there who will say, we're going to pick up your game and then we're going to help you do a disc Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag. Now, it does not always mean that the publisher is not right for you. Mm -hmm. But generally, what that says is we're not one hundred percent sure if this is going to become this is going to be successful or not either. So we're going to run it through a test phase, which is mm -hmm. basically what a Kickstarter will be. So yep. if you've got a publisher coming to you saying that, one, be ready because mm -hmm. that just be on alert. That could be a red flag. But two, if that's what they insist on, insist on getting details from them on how yep. much they're going to put into marketing and how absolutely. they're going to promote it. Just help on a Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. Not, is, is, I is mean, you have Crytivo. Crytivo is quite known to work with Kickstarters for their games. Um, I haven't worked with them yet, but I do know that they have quite some successful Kickstarters. I don't know what their strategy is. However, every time you work with a publisher or with someone that promises you, let's do a Kickstarter together and We'll try to succeed and then we'll do a publishing deal. Really, like Jay said, ask for details. What are you going to do? Because if you do the hard work and they just uh, piggyback on you and then force you into a publishing deal with them because you succeeded together, that's not really good. Um, so, yeah, ask for details. Always ask for details. And there's so many questions that that brings up. It's like one after another. It's like, okay, so if you get the Kickstarter, is the money all yours or is it theirs? And two, mm -hmm. if that Kickstarter fails, then you're going to have, that publisher is probably going to be like, oh, wait, we don't want to do this now. And they're going to kick mm -hmm. it to the curb. And you've now poisoned the well for any future publishers because they're mm -hmm. going to go, like you just said, and go back and look and they're like, well, you did a Kickstarter two years ago and nobody nobody bought into it and, and there mm -hmm. wasn't enough succeed. And in some cases, that's like all that you need to get. Yeah. I mean, you can, do across a, the board. you can do a second Kickstarter, but... And that's a big but. It's it's the chances of you succeeding the second time. There, it's a mixed bag. But I don't see a lot of successful second Kickstarters. Like once you've burned out, it's kind of like okay, unless you've done zero marketing around the Kickstarter, then of course, perhaps with a decent marketing person, you can try again. But if you did everything you could and there is no success, just move on to the next concept. Awesome, pull, Sam. Pull the puck. Thank you so much. No problem. Dan. There we are. There you go. Yeah. No yeah. I know, it's, 
I know it's a little bit laggy for some reason. Thanks for coming on here, Sam. It's been a great my pleasure. Talk. So awesome. thanks for having me. You guys, if you're not part of our Discord community, discord.gg slash indie game business. Also, you can check out indie game business merch. I mean, look at that awesome beanie. Isn't it called something else than a beanie, Jay? Well, in the south, we call them toboggans. A toboggan. That throws off everybody in the north who thinks a toboggan is a sled. It's a sled, right? Yeah. So you can get a toboggan, but don't try and ride it down a hill. Uh, streamlabs.com slash indie game business slash merch. Also sign up for the newsletter at indiegame.business and you get a weekly newsletter. You also get publisher list and investor list, which is the investor list, which is awesome. That it came came out a little rough, but man, it's coming out now and it's polished. So thank you all so much. And we'll be back next Friday. We've got almost every single I think we have a couple of days off for the rest no, of the year. No, we but. well, you might have a couple of days off. I don't have a couple of days off. Yeah, um, our our wonderful producer Heather has booked us all the way through into January. Yeah, no, I looked at the schedule. There's a couple where there's no, nothing booked on. Well, some that's because I have shit to do. That's, oh, that's, okay, that's because Jay has stuff to do. <laughs> some very very important stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, have a wonderful weekend, Sam. Thank you again. Welcome back. Any and every time, and Sam is on the Thank Discord. You. So if y'all have questions, yes, if you me. have questions whatsoever, just ping me. I'm happy to uh, answer as much as possible. Yeah. All right, everybody. See Keep you next us. week. Mm -hmm. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at. IndieGame.Business.